Um, if you have a Bible with you, please open it to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 9 through 17. That is 1 Corinthians chapter 3, 9 through 17. We will have the text on the screen if you don't have a, uh, either papal or scrolly Bible with you. And, you know, th this, this is, as we're moving towards particularizing and having our own governors, the book of 1 Corinthians is super key, and, and th this passage in particular. Before we get into it, let's pray. Jesus, I pray that, that in your word, you would guide us in what you would want us to do. How do you want us to make disciples? How can we uh, be part of building your church in a way that honors and glorifies you? In Jesus' name, amen. Um, you know, uh, back when I, I did music for a while, when you're in the industry long enough, you get to work with people who have worked with people you've heard of. Now, this is one of my favorite stories, so if you've heard it before, just go with it. But uh, we had a mix engineer named Jim Ron Nelly, and Jim Ron Nelly had worked with like some people you've heard of, like big names, the biggest of which, of course, is Prince. And, uh, and he used to tell us these epic Prince stories, like if you've seen the Chappelle Show sketch where he plays basketball, that's all true, I can corroborate. Um, but uh, he, he, was, he, he gets the call. Right, and it's this unbelievable call. You're a mix engineer. You get a call from Prince's camp, and it's like, hey, you want to come and, and mix for Prince? It's not just like, oh, well, that's good work. I'll get paid well. That's a, it's like a privilege to be asked. You know what I mean? And so he, he tells a story that he, he goes up to Paisley Park Studios, and Prince has this whole studio compound. Now, what you may not know is that, that Prince is one of the most prolific songwriters of all time. The dude has hundreds of recorded albums that'll never see the light of day. Like it was just all day, every day, and he would bring up mix engineers to, to, to mix the stuff. So Jim gets shown into the studio and, and he gets to work and he sees nobody for weeks. He's just in there mixing on his own. And the first person he sees is Prince. He walks in, Right? There's these swinging, like the, the doors don't slam so you don't screw things up. You know, just swinging door. Prince walks through. Jim's just trying to keep his cool. He's at the mixing desk. If you've ever seen a mixing desk, it's like eight feet long, four feet deep, and every millimeter of it is covered in a dizzying array of knobs and switches and all this. It's this painstaking, meticulous process, right? It's real work. And Prince stands there, doesn't say a word just listens for a minute. And then the first thing he says is, what is this? And he rakes his hands across the knobs and storms out of the studio. And Jim's like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna lose this gig, right? And so he, he just trying to figure it out, because he wasn't giving any direction, so he just, he goes out to the hallway and he, he goes through that door and there's Prince, he said like just leaning on the wall, looking up at Jim, he's not a big man, and laughing. Apparently this was, Prince's typical treatment of a new mix engineer to break them in and, uh, and just terrify the life out of them. But, like, when you get the commission from Prince, it's this privilege. Now, just in Pretendyville, what if Jim had said, you know what, Prince? I did what I did, and, and you know what? You have to live with it. W would, could you imagine doing that? Like, it... Would any of us be, would any of us respect the mix engineer that told Prince, I'm going to mix your music how I want to mix it? No, as Prince. When you get hired, when you get the privileged commission of working on Prince's records, 
How do you mix it? The answer is however Prince wants. What Paul is telling us in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 9 through 17, is that we have received a privileged commission from God. What is that privileged commission? Look with me at the verse of, end of verse 9. He says, for we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, and then this metaphor switches from a field. He says, you are God's building. And then what does he say? Verse 10, uh, According to the grace of God given to me like a skilled master builder. Now, we have ancient construction contracts. And the language that Paul uses here for a skilled master builder is straight out of those contracts. Okay, the way it would work is you would have the person who's commissioning the building, much as you would today, and you hire the skilled master builder. He would be something like a combination of an architect and a general contractor. Paul says, I'm the skilled master builder, and what? I laid a foundation and someone else is building on it, right? That means everybody who comes after him at the church of Corinth who's making a contribution to the church, Okay, so even this word, according to the grace of God, this is a very difficult to translate word. This is not talking about the forgiving grace of God. It, it, it's more like privileged commission. In fact, uh, one Bible translation, the Revised Standard, translates it commission. Okay, it's the, it's the, it means it's the person commissioning the building. And in this case, it's a privilege to build this particular building. That's, the great, that's what grace means here. And so, Paul is saying that he and the, the, the church at Corinth have received a privileged commission to build God's church. Okay, and, and, and you know what else? When we look at verse 9, it says, you are God's building. Well, that, that you there is not a singular you, it's Southerners rejoice, it's y'all. It's plural you. It means the gathered people of God are God's building, and you are building it. You have received the privileged commission. Now that's news to some of us. A lot of the time we conceive of the church as, as a place we go to get something out. Right? I got something out of the sermon. I got something out of the worship. Right? I felt something. Some, right? It does me some good, and it does. But we need to actually flip that. The primary, our primary engagement with church is not to get something out, but to put something in. We have received a privileged commission from God to build his church. And we need to build it God's way. Look at what Paul says at the end of verse 10. So someone else is building on it. Let each one care, take care how he builds upon it. In the same way, you mix Prince's records, Prince's way, you build God's church God's way, okay? And there's a temptation there. A lot of the time, we can think that the church is ours to do with what we like. We are the church, but the church is not ours. It belongs to God. And, and we can make this mistake. We can teach whatever we want to teach. You know, if people are going to like it, if it sells, give the people what they want. That's what you should teach. You can worship however you want to worship. You know, if, if we want to sing songs that don't say a mumbling word about Jesus, well, you know, if that's what sells, let's do that. And there are those songs out there. 
You know, if we want to if we want to choose not to care about people who don't know Jesus, if we want to choose not to care about people who can't make ends meet, if we want to choose not to care about justice and mercy and all these things, that's our business. It's ours. It's not. We must build God's church, God's way. We've received a privileged commission. And so the question is, what is God's way? Paul tells us three things. Outline, folks. Write it down. God's way is on God's foundation to last and for his purpose. On God's foundation to last and for his purpose. First of all, on God's foundation. Paul is very explicit about this. He says, like a master, skilled master builder, I laid a foundation let each one, uh, if someone else is building upon it, let each one take ha- care how he builds upon it. What is that foundation? Look at verse 11. No one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. What is God's foundation? It's Jesus Christ. Well, what does that mean that Jesus Christ is the foundation of the church? Is it the person, Jesus, or is it the work of Jesus, right? The, the gospel message. And the, the answer is, just like, is, is Miller Lite great tasting or less filling? It's both, okay? When we, he says Jesus, it's referring to the person, Jesus, and, and that makes sense because what are we if not a community of people that worship, walk with, and live in relationship with Jesus, or at least try to? The person of Jesus is what we're celebrating when we go to communion, that we sit down at table spiritually with Jesus. Okay, we all got that. Christ is not Jesus' last name. Christ is the Greek word for Messiah. That refers to the work of Jesus, the Savior. And so the foundation is the person of Jesus. It's also the fact that Jesus lived a sinless life, died on the cross to forgive us, rose three days later, giving us eternal life, ascended to heaven, reigns now, establishing his kingdom, and will return. That gospel message is also the basis, the foundation of the church. If we're not hitting that hard and often, if that is not the basis on which all of our teaching is built, we are not building on God's foundation. Now, what happens if you don't build on the foundation? Imagine this. I, you guys are all contractors, and Sharon and I hire you to go put, I don't know, a, a game room. That'd be cool. I'd like a game room. You're going to put a game room addition on our house as a third floor. <laughs> this, this isn't realistic, but anyway, that's what you're going to go do. And you're like, okay, well, what's the address? All right, it's 3122 Marion, you know, foundation, floor one, floor two. Now, game room floor, third floor. That's what we're doing. We're going to pay you handsomely. Just make sure it has a foosball table because that's I'm naturally good at foosball. I don't even practice. I'm just good. And you, you guys go to my neighbor's house, the Harden's house, and you build over there on a different foundation, and he gets the game room. Okay? If you've built on a different foundation, what have you done? You, you, you've not fulfilled the commission at all, have you? If we build on a foundation other than Jesus Christ, which is God's foundation, even though you're building with all your heart, what have you built? Not God's church. There, there is a, a sobering reality that, if, that there, are, there has been much effort in the history of the church 
a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, a lot of money, a lot of effort, a lot of whatever that has built on another foundation. And even if it says church on the door, it is not on God's foundation of Jesus Christ. A lot of churches have been founded on a foundation of tribalism. We need a church for people like me and not them. I'm not talking about there's a bunch of Nepalese people who need a service in Nepalese so that they could track. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a place for us to keep others out. There's a lot of churches, a lot of denominations founded on that. There's a lot of churches that have been founded on a cult of personality. The charismatic gifting of one leader or a group of leaders, and they're the one, and all our hopes rest on them, right? And they are the foundation of the church instead of Jesus. But let's not focus on them out there. Let's worry about us in here, right? Like we, as we are building this church, and we're still in the very early stages, it's a privileged commission from God. Let's build on Jesus. Everything we do whether it's a program or an event, if it is not getting us closer to Jesus and each other, if it is not deepening our understanding and apprehension and living out of the gospel, it is not building on God's foundation. We have to ask, what does this have to do with the person and work of Jesus? Activities are fine if they are not getting us closer, if they are not building on the foundation of Jesus Christ, then we are building something beside the church. It's not just where we build, but also how. And Paul says build to last because you've received a privileged commission to build God's church, to build to last. Look with me at verses 12 and 13. And we're going to pay close attention because these verses are confusing. So we're going to try and straighten them out. He says, now if anyone builds on the foundation, that's good, with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Oh, thanks, Paul. So clear. Anyway, we're going to break this down. Okay, what is, the, what is this list of stuff? Let's look at the materials, he says. He says gold, silver, precious stones. That precious stones doesn't mean like rubies. You don't use those in construction. It means like marble and limestone. And then wood, hay, straw, also construction materials you would use to thatch roofs and that sort of thing. But do you notice the difference between them? You know, later in the verse it says it's going to be revealed by fire. Which ones burn? Which ones don't? Well, the, the first three don't burn. And the last three certainly do. Okay, so what does it mean to build? What are the materials? Well, it, it's, the, it's the doctrine, it's the teaching of the church, and it's the practice of the church, what you teach and what you do. All right, so what is this fire? What does he mean by the day will disclose it with fire? That is intentionally language about the return of Christ. When Paul, through in his other letters, says the day, it's the day of Christ's return. Okay, it's not like a it's not like a catastrophe fire. The difference between what lasts and what does not is: will it last beyond the return of Christ? Is it something that will be in the kingdom? Making sense? 
And, and Paul, like this isn't super familiar to us, but Paul is using an everyday example for the Corinthians. Corinth, back in the day, was a rich, famous, uh, wealthy, important Greek city. And in around 200 BC, the Romans started a conquest of the whole Greek world. And there was a time when Corinth re tried to rebel against Rome, and the Romans burned that jank to the ground. They destroyed the city of Corinth. And for, for uh, about 80 years, it, it was just, it was, a, it was, it was destroyed, right? And, and there was a few people who still lived there, but it was a shell of a city. And then the Romans in, um, uh, it was, I believe, Julius Caesar in 88 BC commissioned that it start to be rebuilt. And we're, we're about a hundred some odd years after that. And so Corinth, in the time of Paul, you have to remember, this is not, they don't have cranes, things move at very hand-buildy standards. You would have had some parts of the city rebuilt, but a huge metropolis like Corinth would have parts that are still burned. And if you were to, and they were to go past these things all the time, you might notice a stone house with no roof because it was a thatched roof. And then some older buildings like that were built with marble and such that are in pretty good shape. It lasted through the fire, right? And so, so Paul, they're like, oh yeah, we know what burns and what doesn't. We, we can see what that would be like. He's saying, build with what will last. And that fire is the, the day of Christ's return. And also to build for the kingdom. Look in verses 14 and 15. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. That is contractual language for the builder. The builder gets paid. Paul, do you want to tell us what that reward would be? No, he does not want to tell us what it will be. He's just like, trust me, you want to. <laughs> Okay, verse 15, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. Again, that is contractual language, meaning if you don't build according to the commission, if you don't build to spec, you won't get paid and your work won't stay up there. We're going to take it out. Okay, he says he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Now, Paul makes clear this has nothing to do with salvation. Right? You're saved by grace, but the contributions that we make in building God's church, they may last or they may not. And he's saying build with what will last. We have to ask, what is going to last past the day of Christ's return? What is going to, what are we contributing now that won't make it in the kingdom? Well, things that we contribute out of selfish ambition or pride things that are coming from tribalism or people-pleasing. None of those things enter the kingdom of God, guys. You know what does? Love, faith, hope, mercy, justice, faithfulness, humility, worship, God's word, relationships with one another. Those are all things in the kingdom. Relationship with Jesus. That continues in the kingdom. So we have to ask, is, is what each one of us is contributing and what grace and peace is doing, are these things that are going to last? Or are they things that are not going to last? 
Paul says that because we have received this privileged commission to build God's church, we not only build on God's foundation, but we build to last. The, the implications of this are startling. This means that there are churches the size of small cities that are nothing but straw. And on the day of Christ's return, they're going to be revealed to be so. And it means that 10 people meeting under a tree in Haiti might be pure gold and marble and will be revealed to be so, and vice versa. It's, it's not about the size of the place, right? It's about what are we building with. And, and when we're evaluating any building, one really crucial question we have to ask is, what's it for? Because the same, the same sorts of things that make a good beach bum bungalow are not going to make a good bomb shelter. So you have to ask, what's the purpose of the building? Take a look with me at verses 16 and 17. Paul tells us the purpose. He says, do you, do you not know that you are what? God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, which the Corinthians were kind of doing, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Now, what does that mean, destroy? I did a lot of research into this word. It is very unclear what Paul means by destroy here. The main point, again, is don't. How about that? Don't destroy God's church, and you, you don't want to find out. How's that? Okay, that's, that's the main point. But... If we have received a privileged commission to build the church, we need to build for God's purpose. And the purpose is that the church would be God's temple. That's what it tells us. A place for God's spirit to dwell. And once again, we can misapply this verse when we say, do you not know that you, if we think that's a me, it's a y'all, right? Is it true that God's presence is with every believer? Yes, but there's a special sense in which God's gathered people, God's church, is the place where his presence dwells. So we have to ask, because we don't do much with temples, uh, what's a temple for? I brought a picture so that we can, kinda, we can kind of imagine this. All right, so a temple, first of all, is that clear enough? Is that pretty good? Y'all can track. A temple is not just the, the place... Uh, where God's presence dwells, it's, it's, there's a whole complex. It's not just the temple, it's the buildings around it, okay? So first and foremost, a temple is a place where you encounter God's presence. You see the big building in the middle? That's called the holy place. Inside of the holy place was a place called the holy of holies, all right, where no one was allowed to go except the high priest, and that once a year after a lot of washing and everything. That is where God's presence on earth dwelled. And, you know, like, God does not need to have his presence on earth, does he? Right? Like, like God's space is called heaven. Don't think clouds and whatever. That's not it. God's space, whatever that is. But God's presence shows up in this place on earth. And so, in Jerusalem, you would come to encounter God's presence. You see the, the areas out there, the courtyards, you see, right in front of the holy place. That's where you would go to be close to God's presence. So you would go there to encounter 
the presence of God. And Paul hammers this. He says you are, he says that God's spirit dwells in you. Okay? So it's a place to encounter God's presence. It's also a place to offer worship to God. The, the, to stand in the court, that's what, you know, the psalms that we, we see in the Bible, that's where they would sing the psalms. That's where the offers were, the, the prayers were offered, and you can't really see it here, but you would have altars where you could burn incense, you could burn grain, you could offer an animal. This is where you would offer worship to God. That's another thing the church is to be. And, and lastly, it's a place to seek God. You see that, that back area, that court back there? That's called the court of the Gentiles. Now, the way it worked is that God's people used to be the nation of Israel and then the, the Jews only. And if you were not part of the Jewish nation, you were basically an unbeliever, okay? What you're, what's called a Gentile or the Bible's term, the nations. And just because you were outside of God's people did not mean that you were shut out. There was a place built right into the temple complex for the Gentiles, for those who were seeking after God. So they could come and check it out. What's this whole following and worshiping Yahweh thing about? What is it to be God's people? I'm going to look at them from the court of the Gentiles, okay? So it's a place to encounter God's presence, offer worship to God, and seek God. A lot of the time, these are not the purposes we have in mind. A lot of the time, the church gets built to be a sort of country club, a place to network, a place that's a nice bolt-on to your lifestyle, right? A place where you can kind of do something that's real American. <laughs> or it's a place built for the purpose of validating the pastor's ego. Just keeping it real, folks, you know? These are not God's purposes. God's purposes is that the church would be a place where we can encounter God's presence. That's what we do when we sit down to table. We sit down with Jesus. When, when we gather together to worship, whether we're feeling particularly emotional or not, God is here. That's what the Bible tells us, that the church is a place, not the building church, but the people church. Y'all are the church. Y'all are the temple. That God's presence is with us when we gather. It's a place to encounter God's presence. And also, I don't know if you notice this, but we do this an awful lot. We lead in offering our worship. This is something we can forget. A, a lot of the time we come to church to criticize the service. Oh, I liked that song. I didn't like that song. I could dance to that one, can't dance to that one. I give it a five, right? Or whatever. It's like we become these cultural critics. Oh, that sermon was quite good. I, I agree. Da, 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 da. And, and we forget that what we're actually here to do is offer worship to God. That that is the purpose of the church, to encounter God's presence, to offer worship. And also, another place the church can often lose the plot is that the church is to be a place where people can come and seek God, where, where, where people who aren't sure what they think, who are uncommitted, can come and just check it out, figure it out, right? And, and, and a lot of the time, people who are not committed to Christ can feel unwelcome in a church. They, they feel like it's not okay to be seeking. 
you know, they're, they're attending a community group and say something theologically off the wall and the group jumps on them, ah, heresy, right? Somebody shows up who dressed in a way that maybe is not approved by the majority of the community and they get some side eye. Or someone's out there smoking a cigarette and, which by the way, you can be a Christian and smoke cigarettes, it's just bad for you folks. And, and, you know, like you step out of line of the community standards and you're made to feel like it's not okay to be where you are spiritually. Like you've got to have all your theological ducks in a row before you can step foot in a church. That's not what the church is supposed to be. It's not a community of people who are real solid. It's a community of people who are seeking, who are drawing closer to Jesus. And it's okay to be unresolved. That is the purpose for which we're building. If we forget our purpose, we aren't going to be building God's church for God's purposes. But since we've received this privileged commission, we need to build God's church God's way, on God's foundation to last and for his purposes. It's beautiful when you see this. You know, when, when, I, when we first came to Denver, we were part of a church plant, which... I feel like we're always part of church plants, babe. I, I don't think we've done anything else in like 20 years. It's always a church plant. Um, but, uh, you know, I was fresh out of seminary, and we were looking for a place to have services on Sunday nights, and there was this amazing building, uh, Central Prez in Uptown. Anybody know it? Big, beautiful, old 1800s building, and they had like this cool chapel that would be the right size. It was just a few of us, and... and um, and it was for some reason my job to go and go and make the ask. Now, our church tradition and their church tradition has some tension. I know, so gross. I'm aware. But I suppose non-denominational churches don't have any problems with each other. Ooh. Anyway, we all have problems. And this was a problem. And I was like, they are going to say no. They're like, you have to go ask anyway. I'm like, okay, okay, boss, I'll go do it. And I go and I sit down with the exec executive pastor, a lady named Roz Stansfield. And I can tell you her name because she looks good in this story. <laughs> and uh, I'm just like hat in hand, like, hey, could we, could we use, I'm, I'm new, <laughs> could we use your chapel for services? I understand if you say no. And she just kind of thought about it for a second. She's like, yeah, you guys can use it. I was like, really? She's like, well, I have to go convince everybody else, but I'll do it. And I was like, but uh, really, you'd do that for us? I mean, you know who we are, right? And she's like, yeah. I said, well, why? And she said, like, she, she was like, you're, you're dense to not get this new guy. <laughs> but she was like, you know, this is God's church. It doesn't belong to us. And that includes this building. She got it. The church is not ours to do with as we please. Instead, since we've received this privileged commission to build God's church, we need to build it God's way. Please pray with me. God, I, I pray that you would give us the grace, and you have given us this grace. I pray that your spirit would be active in us, that we would always be conscious of what we're building, that as we are engaged in building this particular church, that you would guide our ways, that we would never forget the gospel, that we would never forget our purpose, 
and that we would never forget what a privilege it is to be commissioned by you. In Jesus' name, amen.